Greetings, super friends. Welcome to Superman and Lois and Pals. I'm Henry Bernstein. Alongside me is my favorite super pal, Professor Sam Brody. So Sam, this is really fun because for the first time, I think we are recording 24 hours since I've seen Superman and Lois and seconds after, like this is a immediate reaction episode. That is correct. Finished about three minutes ago. Oh my God. Amazing. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. We've, I know, you know, we're dads with jobs and sleep is precious. So, and eating dinner is precious. So thank you for being here. Let's talk about Superman and Lois season two, episode two, the ties that bind. directed by David Ramsey, who also is John Diggle in the Arrowverse. It was written by Christy Korchak and Michael Narducci. Clark opens up to Lois about his ongoing struggle with visions and admits that there is only one person who might be able to help. Tensions begin to rise with Lois and Chrissy. Sarah breaks plans with Jordan to spend time with Natalie. So the first thing we have to talk about off the bat is they didn't even wait a full episode for them to do exactly what you called last week about Lana becoming the Kennedy mayor. It's true. I shared, oh, I kind of wish Lana was the mayor. Like, well, they might still do that. And they literally just did it a week later. So I'm both like super happy, but also a little disappointed, you know? Right. Well, so I don't think that they, that the writers will like feel disappointed that you guessed that Sarah cheated on Jordan, right? right. They might feel disappointed. That, that I guess that Lana was going to run for mayor, although I don't know, I can't say. <laughs> I'm happy with it. I mean, it's a good plot point and great. I mean, they could have done it in an episode earlier and I, I, I don't think any other stakes would have been, like, I didn't know that guy. I would have been perfectly happy, but whatever. It was- Minimal setup is fine. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, fine. That was pretty funny right off the bat with that. Um, this was the first canonical mention of Steel john henry irons superhero alias so that's kind of cool and you know you mentioned sarah and natalie or you mentioned sarah but i i have to say i really digging the sarah natalie friendship and is is it too early to ship them i think like they actually would be kind of cool a cool couple i don't know i guess i mean i don't know i feel like we can let them be friends without having to be romantic but totally they they introduced the friendship in the same episode that they introduced um the idea that sarah hooked up with a girl so the connection is extremely proximate Mm -hmm. which does i think and she invited natalie over when she and jordan had plans so like the substitution Mm-hmm. already occurred in the plot so i think that um even though it might be totally you know it should just be like fine for them to just have a friendship and not date mm-hmm. there were all of those signals pointing towards the possibility of dating so yeah i think that insofar as they had good like rapport on screen then yeah sure give us more of that it, that was an enjoyable scene and i love that like you know nat is that they're like being very comic accurate with that that like she's mm-hmm. she can anything you know she you put a a piece of machinery in her hands she's a whiz um how are you liking or not liking lois's story like i sort of felt like the idea of <clears throat> lois being attacked and possibly discredited by a blog or a podcast like someone just like 
because now anyone can put anything on the internet and just say whatever they want. People will follow them. I thought that was an interesting idea. And at first I was sort of like, but she's the most famous reporter on the planet. Everyone trusts every word that Lois Lane reads. Then I was thinking about like, well, Brian Williams, you know, did some stolen valor stuff and was completely discredited. And Dan Rather. Dan Rather? Yeah, there was a whole thing with Dan Rather where uh, people got mad at him. Rather left the anchor desk in 2005 following the Killian documents controversy in which he presented unauthenticated documents in a news report on President George W. Bush's Vietnam War era service in the National Guard. Oh, um, I didn't realize he did something shady and that's why he wasn't on. I, I thought he just sort of got aged out like it was an ageism thing. No, it was concluded later that these documents were forgeries. Um, and I guess CBS didn't authenticate them ah. before rather presented them on air. So. Got it. All right. Well, so I, I guess in that case, like I could believe that someone like Lois Lane, it just, I don't know, somehow to me, Lois Lane just seems like the most honest person in the world. And everyone agrees that she's the most honest person in the world, except like Lex Luthor. I don't know. Well, but even if she is, it just seems what seems like extremely plausible to me is that somebody would come for her. Like, yeah, that's true. Right. She's a target. Know, like We've the, seen that before. Hope Brothers or somebody would right. fund like a sort of Project Veritas type effort to um, expose Lois Lane as somebody who regularly, you know, really Lex Luthor would fund it, right? Right, like, right. Um, and, and that... That seems real plausible to me. But like, what, what, to, to me, it seems like what they're doing, since they've mentioned Lucy twice in two episodes, is that they're going to bring her on. And this is yeah. all just a setup to have a relationship arc with Lois and Lucy. And the journalism aspect of it is just like to make that happen. That's how I'm reading it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, on the one hand, I'm super stoked for Lucy. I love more side Superman characters especially ones that we know she they they announced that casting already it's the same person who played her on it's the same character from when lucy was on supergirl but i don't remember what she did like was she like did she like come back after having like a previous relationship with with james olsen but like it was over or something like yeah i don't remember what exactly her story was on supergirl but I remember liking her. She was briefly director of the DEO. <laughs> I forgot about that. I totally forgot about that. And I don't even remember that you t- with you telling me right now that that happened. <laughs> um, she attempted to rekindle things with Jimmy. Uh-huh. They did rekindle briefly. She was on for a few episodes. It was like season three mm-hmm. or four or something. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I, I'm here for that. I mean, I'm glad Lucy's coming back and I like more connections to the super. I like, you know, I just, there's something like sort of, uh, I don't know, like anal about me where I need to know that this Superman is in the Arrowverse. I don't know why, but like, I like those kind of confirmations of that. Maybe I just, I like sort of right. continuity. Yeah, me too. If they, I mean, if they had cast someone else, that would have been open disconfirmation, right? right. Unless right. they just did the thing where they didn't acknowledge it. I right. mean, actors get recast and, all the time. Yeah. But it, it would have felt like disconfirmation. Yeah. Well, so speaking of new actors, we have a new canonical Lara, Laura Van, Superman mommy. Right. 
and played by Mariana Clavino. So I, I looked her up. She looked familiar. She's from True Blood. And I watched True Blood. I don't remember her at all. I had to do a little digging. She she was. Did you watch True Blood? I did. So she was the. She's only had a few appearances, like five. She was a, a bad guy. She was the vampire that made Bill, like the main guy that that vampire. Oh, okay. Right, and and, and Suki ends up killing her. She's like total total. I mean, villain. I don't remember that that well, but I was pretty drunk the entire time I watched <laughs> True Blood. Uh, <laughs> Some of those seasons was the only way to watch it. Let's say maybe seasons two through whatever. Just like it was a thing I had with my friend that I was watching it with. We would just drink this, like you know, I don't know. Maybe it was something about the setting of the show, but we would just drink this sort of like rotten bourbon and watch the show. So. My memory of a lot of the plot on True Blood is not great. That's that's amazing. <laughs> you know, she joins the ranks of great actresses like Susanna York from Superman the Movie and Superman 2. Ayelet Zurer, of course, a famous Israeli actress from Man of Steel. One of the good parts of Man of Steel, I guess, was her performance. But Sam, they were kind of playing it a little fast and loose. And we've talked about this before with the whole... Jorel AI is alive kind of thing like this version of Lara AI was like literally crying like how is that like how could have Jorel predicted that which you know sort of you know you could open that up for discussion there's so much stuff in Superman 1 and 2 where it's like how could they predict that stuff there's sort of like this idea I think that there's some aspect of the soul that is also being transferred into those memory mm-hmm. banks. But I mean, come on, she's crying. I mean, yeah, we talked about this, but this was also something, by the way, that I said I wanted last year when they did the thing where she briefly took over Lana and I, I come and it was so stupid. <laughs> I was like, well, why don't they just make her the Fortress AI? They always make Jor-El the Fortress AI. Right. Like, just have it be Lara for once. So, in that sense, I'm like, cool, they're they're listening to me and doing the things I want. Yeah. So I'm less inclined to complain about the other aspects of it. But like... Uh, by the way, great performance. I really enjoyed her. Totally bought her as Lara. I just felt like, okay, this is really... Like, how is she there crying about her two sons fighting? The thing is, if they make the AI that realistic, then to me, it creates, like, familial obligation. Like, now Clark has to go there and hang out with her once a week. Like, he needs to come and, like, pretend to be having dinner or something. Oh, you didn't call me this week, Kal-El? You have to call his mother, right? That's how it is if she's, like, going to have that many feelings and personality, right? Like, it's, I, I kind of agree that the sort of more limited form of the AI, where it maybe has the memories of the person and the knowledge, but not like the, the sense of like having a stake in the present right. and reacting the way that right. the person would. I had a similar problem with, um, did you watch Foundation? No, I saw you had a thread about that on on Facebook and I was curious about it, but didn't because I haven't watched it. I I, I just wanted to ask ask you on the thread. So I'll ask you now, like, is it good? Should I watch it? I would say yes. Okay. I will make this point in like one minute. Okay. I will not, I will not extend this. But the, the premise is that there's this scientist who basically does like super fancy sociology that he calls psychohistory, where he foretells that the empire is going to fall. 
and he's trying to plan to reduce the years of chaos that will follow the fall of the empire. And so he creates this foundation that's supposed to preserve the knowledge of humanity and like keep this sort of core of civilization through the crisis years so that after the a thousand years of chaos, instead of 30,000 years have elapsed, civilization will be able to form again. And in the books, um, there's these like repeated crises that come up that threaten the foundation's existence. And every time it happens, it's like the scientists all go into this room and they watch a recording of him. And he's like, it is now 250 years things started. I imagine that what you're facing at this time is probably, and then he sort of says like, the logical thing that would have happened by now is blah, blah, blah. And it's just the recording. On the show, they had it be like an AI that was downloaded. So he's sort of like actually there to react. And to me, yeah, that's like much worse. It's not as believable. Because the whole point is right. that he predicted it. So, and so he won't ever say exactly the thing, but he'll be like, I imagine that what you're now facing is something like a power struggle between the neighboring planets and you're caught in between them and you need to somehow make yourself like how to become safe in this situation of conflict. So you will probably find that the solution falls along these lines, but of course it's up to you. And then like the recording turns off. Whereas in the, the show adaptation, it's like, this is interesting. What are you all doing? Like... And it's, who plays the AI? Um, Jared Harris. Okay, so that's great. Yeah, I love Jared. The cast Harris. is good. Uh, the cast is really good. Okay. Um, the thing about Isaac Asimov is he's not a character writer. Right. He's a plot and right. idea writer. Right. His characters are absolutely terrible. Right. They're more or less identical with each other. So the show characters are automatically better than the characters in the books uh, without even trying that hard. Right. Right. Okay. So, I mean, so, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely in agreement with you. I mean, I, let, let's just to set the record straight, the idea of this Jor-El AI or whatever, recordings, whatever it is, that was created in Superman the movie and mm-hmm. canonized or whatever or concretized by Marlon Brando's performance. And the way he both presents it and it's written by Tom Mankiewicz and Richard Donner and I guess Mario Puzo to it to a certain extent is that he he like you said he has predicted every possible thing that Kalel could ask him or present him with as a problem, and so much so that even in in Superman two when when Luther goes to the fortress and he touches a crystal and by this point they couldn't use Marlon Brando anymore because he was only contracted for uh, Superman one. So all the stuff they filmed, they just gave the lines to Susanna York. She says, I I wish you wouldn't have asked me that. And Luther's like, I didn't ask anything. And uh, that's such a nice touch that it's not perfect. It's not a perfect AI. It is a computer program that, that presents itself as real, real enough for for Kal-El to both feel like he can communicate with his parents and get advice and connect with someone who's Kryptonian, but right. knows that they're not actually there. And so he doesn't need to go and hang out with him to like <laughs> honor, honor his father and mother. Right, right, right. right. Like, and, and the show like sort of took the premise, the sort of what was established in Superman, the movie, and they've taken a lot of good things from that. But there's like this need in sci-fi 
comic book stuff to explore the AI. And sometimes it's just not necessary. Sometimes AI is good. You know, Terminator 2 got AI right. It's just an abstract thing that will come destroy you later. <laughs> like you said, I liked her performance and it was cool that she's there as the AI, but it, it's just, it's too, it's a little too much. Even Russell Crowe in Man of Steel was one of the things I didn't hate because he does react to things that happen, but he's not emoting all over the place. Right. He's just like, he's like, Lois, if you go that way, you can escape from the ship. Yeah. And then like, she does. Right. It was fine. And that's fine. Right. And like, you know, yeah, I mean, the whole Krypton stuff in that movie, actually, at the, the whole front of that movie, with the Krypton stuff, actually done pretty well. We don't need to get into that. That annoyed me, though, that they referred to that aspect of the mythos in this episode, because they said that kal was the only natural birth um, as opposed to the like engineered births. And I was kind of like, ah, I don't know about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so John Burns sort of. Unless they were going to go with the right. Unless they were going to go that way where they didn't even like have a physical relationship. Right. Because of the way that, I mean, Burns had a really extreme cultural take. And it doesn't seem like this is that. So it seemed more like they were kind of referring to this matter version. It was definitely the, the Man of Steel version more so than, I mean, they sort of touched on the burn thing, this idea that Krypton was a stark, sterile, not loving place at all. And like the, the big moment in the f- first couple pages of John Burns Man of Steel is that as Krypton's exploding, they sort of hold each other. And that's like the only mm-hmm. affection they've shown at that point. Like they, they mm-hmm. have not had sex with each other. Kal-El is in a tube that he was put in it, he was created in a tube, and that tube is was put in a rocket ship and getting sent to Earth. What do you prefer? What kind of Krypton do you like, Sam? So I, I like the burn Krypton fine. I thought that was interesting. But what I really like is... Um, Superman the, the animated series. Well, yeah. I mean, I like, I like the sort of um, the Bronze Age take on Silver Age Krypton. That's my Krypton. Say more. So, like, it looks like Silver Age Krypton, but it's not because it's, like, grittier than Silver Age Okay, all right. So they're they're wearing... Jor-El is wearing a green super suit with basically a Saturn planet and a red cape and the headband, but the weight of what is happening on Krypton is much greater. Like in Alan Moore's For the Man Who Has Everything... Mm -hmm. Where after he's wrong, he turns into a fascist, anti-immigrant, like, politician. That's the kind of thing. Not that I think that Jor-El's personality needs to go that way, but the idea that Kryptonians in general could be receptive to that sort of thing. And good versions of Zod tend that way, mm-hmm. right? Like, so the idea, when they did, for example, you know that I like the storyline where they did the new Krypton. Right, and the guilds. You're into the guilds. Right. Yeah. That was cool. Mm-hmm. That's that's Krypton to me. Mm-hmm. Like and and Zod has like a claim to being a correct interpreter of Kryptonian history mm-hmm. that is also contestable. Right. This is something that I relate to. And if you want to do a brief Judaism excursion, right? It's like, look, you can have Abraham Joshua Heschel and you can have Mayor Kahana, right? Mm-hmm. And Kahana is like an absolute evil man. He's a fascist, mm-hmm. but he has a claim to taking certain sources mm-hmm. and saying, I'm interpreting them. Mm-hmm. And you can't say, no, you're making this all up because he's got his interpretation. Mm-hmm. Now you can say, I think the Heschel interpretation is the correct one. And that's the one I'm going to fight for. Right. And not the racist evil interpretation, mm-hmm. but like 
he can still say, I've got these sources in this history, and I'm going to make my evil interpretation, and, and I am therefore in some way a genuine representative of your tradition. So like Zod is a genuine representation mm-hmm. of like a certain Kryptonian tradition, mm-hmm. and he's arguing for it, and he's not like making that up. Like got something to stand on there. It's just that other people have better ideas right. about what's a good <laughs> Kryptonian tradition. Right. Beautifully said. Let's move on from the planet Krypton uh, a little bit. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time talking about Tal Ro. Obviously, he was faking it. And like, that's one of the great things about Superman is that he trusts people even when he knows he shouldn't. <laughs> There's no break. I mean, very nice that Jordan had a little fight with him and held his own. Um, mm-hmm. There were a couple like Superman comic references that I wanted to point out that I want to see if you caught. Did you catch the name of the scientist that, or the seismologist, or who is? Was it uh, Faulkner? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember? Do you remember Kitty Faulkner, Doctor Kitty Faulkner, also known as Rampage? Oh God! Really? <laughs> that it, okay. It's a deep cut from the Burn era, from the like the first ten issues. I remember Rampage, but I don't remember her. So Rampage was sort of the She Hulk alter ego mm-hmm. who later becomes a good guy, or but of. You know, Dr. Kitty Faulkner was a scientist at Star Labs or Cadmus or one of them, and something happened and she became a raging monster. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're going to go that route. Obviously, it seems like she's not, you know, she's nefarious in some way. But well, with X Kryptonite in play and giving people powers as like a thing that they can do, they sure could go that way if they wanted. They, they totally could. Um, do you remember the Superman of America? storyline um no okay this is i don't know if this is a period of not reading for you but um the superman of america number one was published in march of 1999 this is a team that lex luther created using uh one of giving people superpowers one of the kids that superman saved during doomsday was one of them. They, it was like a whole bunch of new Superman. And then after, of course, Superman reveals that, you know, Lex Luthor's behind it, blah, blah, blah. He reforms his own Superman of America with Connor Kent, Superboy, Steel, Kara, uh, Supergirl, and like a couple other heroes. So, you know, it seems like they're kind of borrowing that, which is another deep cut from like a very low period of the series. So I really, I just enjoyed that, that they're going there with that. Interesting. And and it was sort of interesting that like the general Anderson is already like, you've made your peace, Superman. You're not Mm -hmm. on our team. You can't use us for help. But that also just seemed not believable because like, what Superman's getting his ass beaten by a supervillain, they're not going to go help him? Is that what they're saying? I think that it made sense in both of the things made sense to me that the soldiers in the field would go help him and that the brass would say, you can't use our resources in our like headquarters. Oh, okay. He doesn't get the DOD as his like nerd team anymore mm-hmm. as his team right. flash or whatever. Right. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's makes sense. Um, let me say that. I want to say five words to you. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Invasive cosmological event 
interdimensional kinesthesis. (laughs) And, you know, thanks for doing the whole nerd joke of English, please, you know, that Lois and, Mm -hmm. but thank you, Lois. Like, what are you talking about, Clark? And his only explanation Mm -hmm. was some other being is causing it. Okay. Uh So on the one hand, he didn't give any explanation. On the other hand, that totally tracks with the doomsday connection if they're going that way. Because if you remember, well, Sam, what is the origin of doomsday in the comics? He is a genetically engineered Kryptonian baby forced to endure a rapidly accelerated form of Darwinian evolution by being subject to repeated deaths. Yep. Um, Over like a thousand years, basically. Right. Right. But that wouldn't track with interdimensional. Wait. That would be a twist. Right. So like that would be a twist. But if he's Kryptonian, it would make sense that they would have a connection. Because remember, one of the explanations that happens in Hunter and Prey is that one of the reasons Doomsday is drawn to Metropolis is because Mm -hmm. Superman's there. And remember, he sees Superman because he reads like genetic coding of Kryptonians. And he sees Superman, when he looks at Superman, he sees that that Kryptonian scientist that Mm -hmm. did that to him over and over again. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember that. So it would make sense that that Kal-El would have a connection with him. To me, some other being is causing it isn't a definition of invasive cosmological interdimensional kinesthesis. Like if you were going to define those words, how would you define them? Invasive cosmological event and interdimensional kinesthesis. To me, it sounds like a being has come from another dimension and it's invasive. It's appearance in our dimension is somehow causing you to experience these effects. Now, that wouldn't account for why it's you specifically, Kal-El, that are experiencing these effects, unless the maybe Doomsday is from the Krypton in John Henry and Natalie's universe. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and then that would account for both the Kryptonianness and the interdimensionalness. And for him being there in... Smallville, like where everyone else is. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is he? Right. Interesting. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, because like invasive cosmological event and interdimensional kinesthesis seem like two different things to me. Like co- cosmological event, that sounds to me like outer space, right? But interdimensional. So like something that has to do with the fabric of reality. Okay. Okay. Oh, so it could be interdimensional. Okay. This is why I love talking to you because you're the professor and you can explain these things to us. Uh, just one random thing really loving how Superman's costume is looking, especially in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like when he was in Talro's cell and there was the red light mm-hmm. and he just had this dark blue, you could, it was, the, the shade of blue was the shade of blue. It was post death when he had the long hair, like his dark, dark blue and the red just looked really good. There's wasn't, and the, and the, the symbol pop, like the yellow and the symbol pop. So I just, it actually kind of looked in that light, like a drawing. Yes. Like it looked somehow like it would have been drawn onto the suit instead of being part of the fabric. It was kind of weird to me, but it was, it was cool. It kind of looked like a little bit like um, Superman number zero drawn by Dan Jurgens, where he's just the silhouette, you know, with the, with mm. the S and, and there's like the lightning behind him. I don't know. I had kind of had that, that vibe to that. Look that up people. Anything else about this episode you want to say? I thought it was just a great, great, good episode. I feel like the, the Jonathan plot is going to turn out to be an ex-Kryptonite thing. 
Oh um, yeah, it's not going to be it's not going to be steroids, right? That's not that's, no. No one cares. But I think we, they um, want us to like think that Jonathan is in, has sort of his mom's investigative powers. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's, oh, good, good, good angle on that. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's, we talked that's about that last season. That okay, mm-hmm. if he can't be super, there he has another awesome parent who's kind of super. And remember, he he kind of right. leaned into that with digging up the john henry iron stuff maybe they can work him into the um lois and lucy plot too mm. that would be cool i mean they need someone who i not ha- mm-hmm. have a cub reporter like forget the football thing like mm-hmm. you know maybe maybe football's just not for you kid. yeah it just annoys me when they show high school and then all they show is sports <laughs> it just drives me the wrong way like have class sometime you know i know I know. <laughs> Are they ever in class? I don't think. Have they ever been in a class in this show? I don't think so. My so-called life, they had a ton of class. Buffy, they had class even. Like not that much, but like. But they were at least in a library. A yeah. Then whereas on this show, it's like the only thing that exists in the high school is the football field and the gym. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, like they had more. And they like had the- more class and like Friday Night Lights than this, you know, and or in, or in Varsity Blues. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're right. They have not been in class once. Who are their teachers? Yep. I don't know. <laughs> That's amazing. All right, Sam. Well, thank you so much for talking right after uh, watching the episode. I hope that was fun for you to process that way. Yeah, it was. Thanks, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs>